0: This morning, uh, the title of your sermon is uh, about silver bullets. And uh, my son told me that I probably used that same title like five years ago. And I said, well, no one's going to remember it. Uh, It's one of my favorites. It's one of my favorite concepts as we talk about what we're going to talk about this morning. The silver bullet, the one that works all the time. Uh, for the others of you, it may be the secret sauce for your uh, amazing uh, spaghetti, you know, with oregano, it's the secret ingredient always, right? And uh, you have the secret sauce that is better than anything that you can imagine. Or maybe it's the elixir that comes to town and will fix all your ailments or to speak of today, it's the essential oil that you can diffuse in your home that will rid you of all that uh, bothers you and your family. Um, That's what we're going to talk about today. That's what we're going to talk about today when it comes to spiritual things. And what it is, it's a humility that comes from Jesus. The humility that comes from Him. Uh, we've been talking the last few weeks As I preach through the book of Philippians, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2. We've been talking the last few weeks about this amazing passage that's set up structurally with really four lines, and it's building a case uh, for how you can get unity in the church. How can you get unity in the church? And that seems impossible. Even as I look out at you, I, I think about your backgrounds, and I think about uh, your experiences and where you moved from and the last church you were a part of and, uh, your stubbornness and all those other things. And I think about how we could become, uh, a unified group of people and how that seems impossible. And that word unity, as in the last passage we looked at, it's this idea of harmony that we would work in harmony. And that's why I picture this band right here, uh, they do such a great job. That doesn't come without practice. That doesn't come without you do this and I'll do this at the same time and we'll kind of work together there. Um, it, others have said, talked about the well-oiled machine and as you watch a machine and all the moving parts and and they're all working together, that they would function. They are not separate for one another. They are working together and that's the picture uh, of our passage this morning and and we want to find you know how do we how do we do that how how can we work together as i think about uh, this church um i love this church i think it's you know hate to say this but uh i think this is the best church i've ever been a part of and uh I love being here, but 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 know this, know this, that if we just do what we want to do, it's not going to work. It is not going to work. And there will be division and disunity everywhere. And you say, well, what's the big deal? You know, I I like to have it my way. In fact, I'll complain at Starbucks if I don't get it my way, right? Right. You didn't make my drink right. Um, I'll tell this story because he's not here right now. Uh, but um, a few years ago, there was a wedding. There was a wedding from some folks in the church and they needed some help. And so they had some of our youth serve. And um, and so one of my sons, who happened, I won't tell you which one, but he works here. Uh, but uh, he... Uh, Uh, He was he was called on to serve. And so the meal came and it was time to serve. And uh, he goes to the the, the table, the head table, the bride and the groom and the groomsmen and the the beautiful ladies that are standing. And and he's serving the the lady's side. And uh, he he begins to hand a plate to one of these young ladies. And she says to him, oh, uh, I'm a vegetarian. Is there a vegetarian plate? And he goes, oh, just don't eat the meat you know um a lot of bad things could have happened there the other one that was a possibility of him say oh i'll just take that you know uh but uh but this picture that says um uh I, i'm gonna do whatever i want I, i'm gonna be a, a special case i'm gonna not fit in i need to do my own thing um This morning, I want to encourage us as we begin uh, that God has a design for His church. God has a design for His church. It's not optional. It's not optional. It's not something that says, I'm a special case. I do whatever I want. I come when I want to if it fits in. I participate to the degree that I feel comfortable. I get whatever I want. And if I don't, I'll either withdraw or I'll make the whole group fit in around me. Uh, God's design for His church is unity. And as I've been sharing with you before, that's also the same design He has for your marriage. It's the same design. It's the same design that He has for your marriage is that it would be a well-oiled machine. That there would be unity. That you would be together working in harmony for what God's called you to do. And that same call for the church is on your marriage, but it's also for your whole family. That they'd be working together, that your kids and your, your parents and the grandkids and like all this would be working together as a well-oiled machine to do what God has called you to do. And this all fits together. And it's His design for unity. This harmony is a partnership uh, so that we would accomplish his will and be that that harmony and that strength and that unity would be the, the help that we need in times of difficulty. How many of you have <clears throat> in your family gone through times of difficulty? Serious, serious. You have, huh? You have. Uh, and you know what? Your difficulty has been different than my difficulties. And, and, you know, I say difficulty. There have been some heartaches, right? Heartaches. I've watched some of you go through amazing times, and guess what? God's design for you was that your family would be coming around you and being a godly encouragement to, to you, to strengthen you, to hold together. You know what else? Your marriage has been that way. Uh, you know, as I, as my kids are getting married, I, I think about the partnership that, that god is bringing them into into and it's crazy isn't it most of us uh who have been married a long time and we see people young people who are getting married and we want to tell them but we also don't want to tell them right we want to we want to tell them hey it's going to be perfect everything's going to be great you know you'll get along all the time It'll, you know rainbows and unicorns it's going to be great you know uh But there is a difficulty that comes, but God's design is not that there wouldn't be difficulty that that comes in as well, but that there would be a partnership and a unity that would be enough for you, that would be part of His provision for you. But in our passage this morning, you know what it is? It's a church. It's a church. And a church is not optional for God's people. It's not optional. Um, there's, there's no believer in the New Testament that wasn't part of a church, local church. Uh, I know that people would argue that that's not true. Find it, show it to me, you know. Uh, people got saved and you know what? Whammo, a church appeared. Uh, it, it wasn't, it wasn't magic, but that's what Paul was doing. He was setting up churches that they might do those things and be those things for one another. Which, by the way, um, if, we treated our participation in the church. Uh, if this would be a job for you, most of us would get fired, right? Because uh, uh, this idea says, "Ah, oh, come when I fit it. You know, when it works. You know, uh, you know, I'll come. You know, you know." And there's some things I really don't want to do, so I'm not going to be a part of it. <laughs> Boss, I don't like that. You know, uh, um, think about that. That this is a, a vibrant uh part of life that God wants us to be a part of. And so He's gonna call us and show us how to um be unified. And if there isn't, I want to encourage you by saying there uh, really a warning to us all that there's disaster and pain that is to come. Uh, life will blow up for us and we won't have the relationships that God has intended. Uh that we would have those people to encourage us. Um so let's go to the Word of God. You'd stand in honor of God's word. I'd like to read to you. <clears throat> Chapter two, starting in verse one, he says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God, we thank You for Your Word. We ask for uh, Your teaching, uh, Your Spirit that will work in us now that we would learn. God, we struggle. We struggle and we're stubborn in our hearts and we're uh, committed uh, many times to our disobedience. God, I ask that You do the work in us now. We thank You in Jesus' name. Maybe may be seated. So a little review. Uh, As we start out chapter 2, remember I talked about there's this structure of really four points, four points, four points. So there's 12 points total. We're in the last section of four, okay? The first section that I looked at, um, starting in verse 1, was a, a section about the Gospel. And it's this idea of treasuring the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good news, good news. And that we would treasure it. uh, That we would think about it, dwell upon it. What Jesus did for you. uh, That it would not leave your mind. Um, Those of you who are older, uh, you have a scrapbook or you have memorabilia from your life. And uh, you keep it around because it was some. It was important to you once upon a time. And then you look through that box every once in a while and you reflect on whatever happened, that award you won, your diploma, uh, you know, something from your past, something that you treasure. You look at that from time to time. And what this passage is, is really encouraging us to do is to recount, uh, the, the wealth and the, the treasure that we received in Jesus. That, uh, to think about that over and over again. And in that first verse there, it talks about all that we have in Jesus, really the riches that were found in Him. Uh, those four points, uh, in verse one. And then in verse two, it was the call to unity. Uh, the, that we would treasure unity with believers, those who have trusted in Christ, that we would uh, treasure it and that we would find it valuable. Um, and and Paul, remember, he said, make my joy complete, right? Make my joy complete. That this is uh, what is the desire for every local church, but it's also the desire of believers that you would see the unity. Uh, people serving one another, caring for one another. Uh, in harmony, doing the work of God. This is not, uh, you remember that you were here a couple of weeks ago, the idea of being one-souled, one-souled as we work in the gospel. Um, and that we are not seeking separate awesomeness, but we are seeking to be part of what God is doing. Um, this is what He has called us to in the church. And so uh, we're to treasure the gospel. We're to treasure unity with His people. And today we're to treasure second place. Treasure second place. Um, where we come to verse uh, 3 and 4. And this is a critical piece. This is a critical piece. Uh If you're struggling in this church, if you're struggling in your marriage, if you're struggling in your family, this is a critical piece that you have to have. You can't do without it. Um, I know that, uh, a lot of times we get sick and we go to the doctor and the doctor will prescribe something and it may be sound difficult and, uh, it may sound like something you don't want to do. And, uh, you say, is there another way? Is there another way? Can I just take a pill? Uh, you know, can I have a surgery? No, this is the way. And I want to tell you, this is the way. For unity, this is the way for us to uh, live as God wants us to in the church, in our marriage, and in our home. And it's that we would treasure second place, not first. As you look at verse three, it says this: "Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit." That's that first of the four lines. Do nothing from selfishness. Conceit um, this idea he, he wants to get at right away is what is behind your actions what what is the motivation? what's going on inside of you that would come out in words and actions? And he says, first of all, uh, it can't be it can't be from selfishness and conceit. Let's look at those words and then we'll talk a little bit about how that looks in our lives. And I just want to say this motivation matters. Like it matters where it comes from. Uh, chances are it's not just something that you do, it's something that you think. Uh, sometimes we wonder, you know, uh, like we're having an out of body experience or an out of mind experience. Uh we say something or we do something, and then we step back and go, where'd that come from? You know where it came from? You it just wasn't something outward. It was something inward. And he says to us, uh, do, do nothing. Uh, be, be concerned about where this comes from. Two things. First of all, do nothing from selfishness. Is there any selfishness in your home? Uh, so sometimes we wonder if there's any selfishness outside of our home because we, we got so much of it in it, you know? Uh, and uh, selfishness, is revealed, uh, when you're with somebody else. Did you know that? Um, if you had a bigger house and you had less people, uh, you'd still be selfish, but it would not be revealed as much. Uh, when you have, uh, when you get married, hey, guess what is great about being married? Your selfishness is revealed. You may have been selfish before, you just didn't know it, but now you're knowing it, right? And then you start adding kids, yeah, right? What a kid, You know what kids are helpful for? To reveal your selfishness. You know, as a grown man, to throw a temper tantrum, why don't I get my way? You know, uh, oh, uh, because other people are here and my selfishness has been revealed. Um, what is this word selfishness? Well, it's this idea, um, it's used in other forms in the New Testament of being a hireling, being a hireling, uh, being, having a mercenary spirit, okay? Uh, a hireling is just someone who's hired for a job. Why do they go, you know, why do they go to work? Why do we go to work? Why? For the money, for the paycheck. And so you say, no, I'm not like that. If they stop paying you, guess what would happen pretty quickly? You would not, uh, you, you would not go back to work. You'd find another job where they paid you because your desire is not for the job. Your desire is for the paycheck. That's not bad as we desire to provide for our families, but I, I just want to point that out that that's why we go to work. It's because we get paid. Um. This mercenary spirit, and I think it's interesting that it connects with these words of like a soldier getting paid. I think about, I've never been in the military. Many of you men have, and I appreciate hearing your stories and how that worked out and your service to the country. But one of the things that's interesting to me uh, that as I've heard people talk about boot camp and basic training uh, is part of that is an indoctrination of our great country. It's an explanation of what it means uh, of our history and, and why we fight and why we need to be protected and uh, to ex- explain that over and over again and, and to really get them to a place where they understand the greatness of our country. Why? Why? I'll tell you why. Because the paycheck's not big enough. Right? The paycheck's not big enough. When you're going to risk your life, it has to be something more. It has to be something more. Because if it's just for the paycheck, uh, all these young men and women, they could uh, get another skill and go another place and make more money, right? It has to be this idea of, of finding something outside of their own benefits to do a job. As we look at this, selfishness is a motivation. It's a strong motivation. A strong motivation. Uh, that carrot uh, will get people off the couch. It'll get people to do certain things for the carrot, right? But I want to tell you that that motivation is a selfish motivation. Um, we've become so used to it. And uh it, it's not bad in and of itself but the idea in our in our culture right now and really it, it continues to uh be fostered and appreciated as time goes on because we are self-consumed we're self-consumed uh hey w- what's good for you you can have it your way uh what do you want you know that that's the basic question right of life and and it's not just for adults, but it's also not just for kids, right? In fact, we we almost think that it's a good idea to think this way. We talk to young people, high schoolers, and college students, and you say, "What do you want to be when you get big? What do you want to? Uh, where do you want to go to school? What where, where, what do you want to do? Who do you want to be with? What sports do you want to play?" And and, and all that is is this checking in with myself. What do I want? How do I figure out life? I just ask myself, what do I want? Uh, Fortunately, unfortunately, I showed this a a few weeks ago, this is not just a problem of youth, is it? In fact, uh, a lot of times, selfishness grows as the years go on we we look at you know our homes and our cars and we say you know how can i get what i want at home and how can i fix the things that i don't like driven by selfishness mercenary spirit and he warns us against it and he says this he says do nothing do nothing from selfishness Don't let selfishness guide your ship. Um, And I want to tell you, let's think about this in context, right? Don't let selfishness guide your ship at church. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't don't come in and and say, are they playing my song? Don't come in and judge the pastor and his preaching. He's so good. I can't imagine you could find anything wrong with him anyways. Don't do it, don't look to the right or to the left and, and and question someone's uh what's going on in their life, their outfit, their giving their their service. Don't do it, don't do it don't don't think that that's your spot. Your spot here is what it's not to be selfish. we're going to get to that, but this idea is i it's not about me here. Guess what your marriage. Not about you either. What happens when you don't get what you want in marriage? What happens? It's a trick question, huh? Some of you are going, I don't want to answer it. Uh, I know he's baiting me in this. You know, this is a hook. Can't resist. Uh, um, What happens when you don't get what you want? I, I want to tell you, it's not about getting what you want in marriage. It's about unity that God designed a partnership that he's given you for life. What about in your family? What what happens when you don't get what you want? What happens when others become more important than yourself? You're like, oh, I don't like it. I don't like it. I want to be first. I want to tell you this passage is all about being second. And maybe farther down on the list. It's not about seeking the first place, it's about seeking a lower place. And he he says, "Do, do nothing. Do nothing out of selfishness. Tired of talking about it? Okay, we'll move on. We'll talk about something else you don't want to talk about. Conceit. Conceit. Um, conceit uh, is a word, part of a word group, uh, that's connect is the idea of glory. In some translations, it says vain glory. Vainglory. Um, and what's interesting about this word, uh, it's a similar word. To the word used, glory of God. Glory of God. Um, if you look in the scriptures and God reveals himself to be a God of glory, God of glory, that's the reason, the reason that we desire to worship him because he's worthy to be worshiped. He's worthy to be worshiped. And in this passage, I'm not talking about God, I'm talking about you and me. And he says, don't let your motivation do nothing out of what selfishness and conceit or glory or vainglory says, don't let your motivation be your own glory, your own greatness. Um, Glory is an interesting thing, an interesting thing, uh, some of you moved uh, to Tehachapi so that you could be the greatest. You know why? Because wherever you came from, it was so big that you couldn't be the greatest. And so now you can get in the newspaper here, right? You know, so-and-so blew, blew their nose and they live on such-and-such so, such street, right? You know, I'm the best on my street. There's only three people who live on your street, okay? Uh You know... Th- there's this idea of the smaller. We we love the idea of being first. We love the idea of being best. And so uh, it's a motivation. Uh, I've talked about this before. Uh, in companies all the time, it says, you, know, you get a business card that says you're the vice president. You have a big title. Uh, actually, everyone has a, is a vice president at your company. You know, it's one of those things. It, it's it it it's something that it they're motivating you by giving you a title that somehow you would find yourself to be important, and not just important, but more important than somebody else. To be somehow lifted up above somebody else. Love the idea of being the best, first place. And he says. He says in this passage, it's very interesting. He says, do nothing, do nothing from selfishness or vain conceit or conceit or vainglory. He says, don't, don't let that be your motivation. And it must, uh, for the Philippian church, as it is for us here, some of you are looking at me right now and you're going, I don't get it. How can we not do it this way? Uh, that's the question, right? Because in the city of Philippi, the church of Philippi, a younger church, 10, 11, 12 years, um, they were used to being motivated by what? Selfishness and vainglory or greed, or say it another way, pride. Pride. They, those were the great motivations. Uh, that's how our world spins. And he takes the two big motivations and he says, do nothing based upon that. Do nothing. Um that's a challenge for us. It's a challenge for us here at Bear Valley Church. Uh, we talk about it as elders all the time. The elders of Bear Valley Church. Pretty important people, huh? Uh, no, they should be the first servants of Bear Valley Church. The servants. This pastor should be the chief servant of Bear Valley Church. Willing to do whatever needs to be done. Uh, how do you fit in? <laughs> You're another servant, right? We're we're servants side by side. Uh, This is where this passage is going. Not just today, but in the uh, weeks to come as we look at this uh, coming back from Easter. We're going to continue to talk about service. Humble, joyful service to the Lord. And it's not service that's motivated by selfishness. It's not service that's motivated by pride. You're great because you serve. No. You're just a servant. You you get, uh, you're serving yourself. You're going to get something great for yourself. No, that's not the reason we serve. So the me motivation is not what we're talking about here. The motivation that we're talking about is a humble motivation. It's asking the question, what is good for others? Not what's good for me, but what's good for others um, humility um, that that word humility most of us kind of know what it means, right We kind of know what it means to be humble right uh this particular Greek word wasn't used a whole lot outside of the scripture, and a few of the examples in secular Greek of that day of the right. Uh, it was used in a derogatory sense, the, the idea of someone being weak or, or low, shamefully lowly, right? Uh, they're they're just a servant. They're just humble. Uh, it's they're too weak to be that proud, lifted up above everyone else. They're just too weak. And this is what God is calling us to. That's what He's saving us to, is that we would be. Humble as we seek our role and place in his church, in marriage, and in the family, that we would see our place as a humble position. So so we look at this passage, he says uh um, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility do what? Count others more significant than yourselves. Uh, it, it's this idea that when you come into contact with one another, in the church, marriage, the home, when you come in contact, that in your mind and in your heart, you look at that other person, you size them up, and you see them as above you. Above you. More important than yourself. Think about that. You walk into church here, who should get the good spot? Well, what is the good spot? It's back in the back there, you know. I know how some of you come, come early. You're like, I'm coming early for those back seats. Those are the high dollar ones, right? Um, I, I want to talk to you about something. Who is the greatest here at the church? Who's most important? Uh, how, how do you, he says, count others as more significant than yourselves. So who's most important? Who should be magnified? In your mind right now, as you're following the scripture, you say, somebody else. I don't know who it is, but somebody else. It shouldn't be me. And so as you walk in the room here, you're looking at important people. More important than yourself. Okay? This is what this passage is teaching. Now, some of you are 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 struggling with this right now. You're saying, "But pastor, that's not true. I'm smarter than they are. Do you, do you know I have a degree? I went to a better school than they did, right? I made more money. Than, I have more money than they. Are. I've been smarter with my money, right? I'm older than they are. If you think that you're older than some, I want to tell you, some people are walking in here going, "I'm younger than you are." And they're thinking they're more important because they're younger, okay? That's a funny thing, isn't it? So who's more important? And we're struggling with this. The first answer and the right answer is somebody else, somebody else. But I want to tell you the right answer, okay? Who's most important? Nobody. Nobody, right? Some of us, we brag about our great accomplishments, right? Uh, or great accomplishments. You know, I, I'm really good at trivial pursuit. Well, bully for you, right? It's all trivial. What you know, right? That's all you know is trivial stuff. Uh, so, so you say, well, I, I've done things. I've created things. I've built things. You know what? I read the book of Ecclesiastes. That thing's gonna fall apart, right? <laughs> You're a better builder, it wouldn't have, right? Uh, you, you think about all that we do that's great. It's not that great, right? And, and what's interesting about doing great things, there are other things because we didn't have all the skills in the world. And there are other things that people do that are great that we can't do great, right? And so who is the most important? I want to say nobody. I, I said earlier this word doxa, glory in the Greek. Word for God. Glory to God. Christ and what he did. King of kings, Lord of lords. He is the one worthy of worship. And so there's this thing that's so important for us to remember that we take that humble position. Why? Uh, Because we are seeking unity. We're seeking to lift others up above ourselves. But the reality is that we're all the same. We're all the same. And so in humility, we serve one another. Why? Because God is the only one who's great. That's how we find that spot. He says, consider others more important than yourself. You're looking for the significance of others. He moves on in verse four. And he explains in two lines. really what we are to do he says first of all he said let each of you look not to your own only to your own interest there's an interesting thing in the scripture that acknowledges that we automatically automatically look to our own interests we automatically do that i'm not going to do this but if i'd punch you in the shoulder right now most of you would do this if i hit you hard enough you would go like this why do you do that? Because your hand is coming to the rescue of your arm. We're taking care of ourselves. We're, we're, we're bent towards that. We're made towards that. Okay, And you add selfishness of sin in this world, and it's more so. It's, it, it's to, to the excess. It's to a natural way. But he, he says, as you look to your own interests, your self-centeredness, Is your self-centeredness is meant to grow into others centered. Look not to only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Also the interests of others. Um I was gonna say take care of your own business and then take you know be in other people's business. <laughs> so you're so you're like, I know how to do that. <laughs> in a helpful way. In a helpful way. Right it's this idea that we're 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 focusing on others, we're others centered, we're others centered, that we're looking at them, and we go, What can I do for you? How can I serve you Th- this morning um I, I want to give seven seven things that might be helpful on how to be humble, how to be humble, and uh I hope that as we reflect on this passage and maybe put into practice that God can do a work. Um, I, I want to tell you, I want to say again, this is critical. This is critical. Your marriage depends on it. Your marriage depends on it. Your family depends on this. And and the deal with your family is you're setting up the next generation, right? Um, I, I know, uh, Mother's Day and Father's Day is coming up and God's already working on me about some things to share at the, those times. And I, I want to encourage you that there's, there's, a lot riding on you being humble. That, that God wants to do a work in your life that would impact the next generation. It will impact your marriage. And it will impact the work that God wants to do here at our Church. So some steps to be humble. Some things to remember. First of all, number one, uh, dwell on before and after pictures in Christ before and after pictures now uh i think it's funny in the day of the internet you can publish pictures of yourself you know i was you know i weighed too much and i thought it would be a good idea to take a picture of myself um and when i weighed too much and uh then i I, you know i took this supplement or i started working out or whatever and well look at me now look at me now um I don't care how dramatic that picture was for weight loss. It was more dramatic before and after when it came to Jesus. And to dwell on that, not not for you to publish that for everybody else, but for you to think about the before and after pictures. That you would consider your life before Jesus. And now what he has done for you, because. Uh, he went to the cross on your behalf. So so dwell on before and after pictures in Christ. Number two, say thank you a lot to Jesus and others. Say thank you a lot to Jesus and others. And, and what is thank you saying? You did something for me. And I want to even say it this way. It's, that I needed. That I needed that I needed and didn't deserve. I needed something and you did it for me. That you would be mindful around this church, uh, in your marriage, and in your family, that you would say thank you, both to, to to the Lord for what he has done and to others to see his provision for you. It seems in our world today, um, we become deserving and entitled. Entitled. Now, most of us hate that word. We kind of love using it when it comes to other people. Right? But we, we don't like using it. If I were to offend you, I'd say, you sound really entitled right now. Ooh, smoking. Right? Uh, right? Ooh. A little bit personal. Right? You're entitled. When you don't say thank you, when you don't say thank you, You're saying, I deserve that. It wasn't a big deal. I didn't really need it anyways. I want to tell you, when it comes to the Lord and what others do for you, you should say thank you because you're acknowledging that you were needy. You were needy. And they provided for you. So say thank you a lot, okay? Number three, uh, use self-service as a trigger to know the needs of others. Use self-service as a trigger to know the needs of others. It's hot in here. It's hot in here. Maybe I should wonder if it's hot for Jimmy and Beth here. Maybe, maybe I wonder if it's hot for Joy and Sharon there. Maybe, maybe I should think about what... You know, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. Maybe it's just because I'm preaching, but I'm wondering, what about them? It's a self-trigger. I'm thirsty. I want a glass of water. Maybe somebody else would want a glass of water. You know? I, I, I would really like to, to do this. I'd really like to have this. Well, maybe somebody else would be in me. You know, that, that's that taking the second place, right? But to use my own selfishness as a trigger to serve others. Number four, proudly put on the uniform of a servant, not of royalty. Proudly put on the uniform of a servant. Um, many, many, uh, professions have a uniform. And that uniform is a symbol of what they do. You know, the white jacket. What is that? This is a doctor. Right? Uh, when, when I worked at Altadena Dairy, we had these, you know, these ones that I didn't have to launder or anything. They were these, and it had Kevin right there. And so, you know why it had, you know, so that they would know uh, when somebody didn't rotate the milk, who to yell at and what his name was, right? What his name was. It's a uniform. And a uniform shows who you are. And I want to tell you, willingly and proudly for you to say, I'm going to put on, I'm going to put on the uniform of a servant. Uh We're going to take communion here in a moment. Uh, if you think about that, that last supper, right? The last time together. You know what Jesus did? He took on the garments of a servant, and then he washed their feet. It wasn't just that he washed their feet. He said, "I'm going to take on I'm going to look like a servant right now. You know why? Because I'm going to serve you because you know, I'm going to serve you." And I want to tell you, don't begrudgingly set aside your royalty for a moment and say, "I really this really I'm really kind of above this, but uh, I'll do it for a moment." I want to tell you, put on the garment of a servant proudly. This is my role. This is what God saved me for. That I would be a servant. Number five, recount to yourself your near-death experiences. Recount to yourself your near-death experiences. And what I mean by that is this. It might be truly near-death experiences. There might be those times where you weren't paying attention on the freeway and you could have died, should have died, but you didn't die. And you know that that's connected to God's goodness in your life. But it may be other things as well. When you hear of an overdose, when you hear of uh, someone who's wasted their life with sin and and brought them to the point of despair and you go, that's my near-death experience. I could have been right there the choices and sins that I had and made, I could have been right there. And so for me to think of myself as greater and above anyone else is foolishness. But to consider and to dwell upon those near death experiences for ourselves. Number six. Get busy serving, not ranking your squad. Okay. Very important. Get busy serving, not ranking your squad, the people around you. Um, This happens uh, uh, at your house and my house all the time. I haven't been in your house, but I'm assuming the same. Uh You see a dish on the counter. And as a dad, you just get frustrated, right? Whose dish is this? It's not mine. That, that's what I say first. It's not mine. Because if it's mine, I can't see it very well, right? Okay, that dish is invisible, right? I was laughing. I did this this morning. I saw, whose coffee? Oh, that's my coffee cup. I left it there last night. And I think somebody else picked it up, by the way. Uh, came back and it was gone. Uh, I think I know. I think I can tell you who it was. Positive, in fact. You know. Anyways, I look at this and I, I say, somebody should pick this up. Somebody should pick this up. And then I started looking around. I go, well, I'm older than they are, so I'll rank them. You know, and they're looking at me and they're going, You're the dad. <laughs> Serve away. <laughs> right? And I'm going, well, is this and I think this. Is this my role or is this her role? Who's, whose job is this? This has got to be I want to tell you, ranking, ranking, going like this, that's not what he called us to. Sir, Sir, put the dish away, right? Sorry to get so personal this morning. Lastly, plot, plan, and brainstorm how to give to others, how to give to others, how to be a giver to others. Um, most of the time our plotting, planning, and brainstorming how to give to ourselves. It's this idea, how can I get what I want? We don't have enough money right now, but if I do this, this, and this, I can get what I want. It'll be awesome. It'll make my life complete. Uh, I want to encourage you, the picture of Scripture is this, that we would plot and plan and brainstorm and kick it around how we can give to others. How can we give to others? This is God's plan for unity. Your church or your marriage for your family. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning. The blessing of being in your word. Important message. God, we thank you. We ask that you would continue to do your work in us um, even as we participate in a time of remembrance of your son Jesus. God, we ask that this would um, straighten our ship and help us to understand who we are, clarify for us the real picture of ourselves and where we fit into your plan. God, we thank you in Jesus' name.